all right, Kate? Yes, Lee, thank you. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Would you rather have me off speaker or is this okay? I don't think you're on speaker, Brandon. The technical wizard has yeah, us good. in headphones and microphones. Yeah, so. I know, but uh, I'm talking into oh, a. Um, oh, no, you're, you're, you're good. I got you coming in. We can hear you, we can hear you nice and clear. Good, great. Okay. Okay. So, welcome, welcome. Welcome yep. back, Ed, and welcome back to our listeners. Another <laughs> episode. Ali, just so you know, you are, um, this is the fourth episode mm-hmm. of the Wait, What Is That podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Katie. And we're here to do what we like to do, and that's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to work on an intro. I will get better at it, I promise. Yeah, sorry, Lee, we don't have an official intro yet. <laughs> we're going to practice introducing people. Yeah, work in progress. But one of the reasons we have this podcast, it's called Wait, What Is That? And it's an opportunity for us to look at a, a like a little detail. It could be um, a certain tree. It could be a person. It could be anything that we don't realize what it is. And then we go and say, well, what is that? And there's usually so much information behind it. And the Little Beacon blogs always worked that way. That's where some of our stories come from. Uh, this is a bigger topic for us with the um, the Justice Department investigation. So uh, learning what, you know, we learned that you were, um, part of, uh, initiating that, I I think if I heard you correctly. Um, so we wanted, yeah. So we wanted to really learn about this as the uh, police policy reform is being discussed and we hear stories from different people, you know, we're becoming aware that these stories that people are sharing are from maybe different time periods in Beacon's history and different time periods in the Beacon police department, um, so to help with the searching and, and giving people information as they uh, weigh what is now and what is in the past and what changed and did it change enough and can something be deeper or better, we thought we'd go to you and just tell us uh, about this investigation and, and you initiated it. So how what happened? And what year so, do you think this was? Yeah, so... You know, um, I, I did three stints on the city council, um, six years in the 90s, six years in the 2000s, and then six years in the teens before coming mayor. And this, this was in the second set of six. I always take some time off just to rejuvenate. And uh, I was on council from 2002 to 2007. And, um, and it started up in 2002-03, really pretty much me on my own. Um mostly taking on overtime, which was just way out of control uh, in the police department. And then it, it slowly kind of um, expanded into, um, you know, why do we have four dogs? You know, that was part of the overtime issue. Mm-hmm. But what are they for? Uh, you know, to the lawsuits that are going on within the department by women and, and officers of color. And then to why do we have lawsuits going on? against the police department, and this was largely about management. We had a, a chief um, who, um, you know, kind of ran a what I would describe an old boys department. Um, you know, if you're one of the old boys, it's probably a good thing, Lee? but if you're not, it, it doesn't treat everyone. To- Lee, hold on one second. Brandon's making a, a technical adjustment. Good. Okay, we're back. So, yeah, so we were, so you have the four dogs, we have overtime and expanded, we have the four dogs, why do we have four dogs? And then what else? You had another thought after that. Um, And it just kept growing. It was like, why do we 
have, you know, as I described it, it was more of an old boys department run mm-hmm. by a chief, one of the old boys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, if you're one of that group and that's okay if, if you're not in terms of treatment, we ended up with multiple lawsuits, both within the department and by the community. And over time, I just kept having at it. I had one election where I barely got reelected because I was doing it by myself. And, you know, um, people were kind of viewing me as strange as opposed to um, trying to get uh, something accomplished. But the second uh, two years, um, I built a coalition of four council members. There were two Democrats, myself and Eleanor Thompson. Eleanor was the first African-American, obviously a woman on the city council, I gave up my war seat for her to run in that because it was winnable for her, and I ran at large. Um, and we also then um, coaxed two Republicans. And, and, you know, the council doesn't operate politically once you get elected. Sam Way and Deanna Leak and the, the four of us started meeting together and kind of all agreed this is just out of hand. The first thing we have to work on is, is we have to change who the chief reported to. Because mm-hmm. in the charter, every department in the city reported to the city administrator except the chief of police, which re- who reported to the mayor. Mm-hmm. And our mayor, uh, you know, Claire Lugul, yeah, it's hard to manage a chief to begin with. It, being a manager is not in the skill set of being a mayor. It, being a mayor is about getting elected. And basically, the chief got unmanaged. Um, we all agreed that we were going to change that, and that's when the full council started working unanimously. We changed the charter. Uh, the city administrator became the manager of the police chief and started to try to assert control mm-hmm. uh, and writing up the issues that involved in subordination because by then the chief really hadn't been managed for 10 years and got used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those write-ups continued. Who was the administrator uh, at that point? Uh, Joe Braun. Okay. Joe was Clara Lou's administrator, uh, I think, the entire time. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually the council, I believe we wrote to the Justice Department looking for help. I think that was the city attorney's uh, question. And then we ended up demoting the chief. Ooh. And uh, if, if you imagine one of the hardest things to be able to accomplish is uh, demoting a chief down from chief to lieutenant, which mm-hmm. we did. We got the bejesus suit out of us multiple times. We won every one, every one of them. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, and that was all paid for by the, you know, union that was defending the chief because mm-hmm. that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's understood. It was a very, very, very difficult period. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, the Justice Department said we would like to come in. And uh, where they focused was on, um, on uh, practices and policies which makes a ton of sense, and it's an area that, that really a council lacks expertise. Okay. Um, and building a set of written policies and procedures and practices and then making sure that people actually adhere to them and are complying with them was, was the primary focus of what DOJ was trying to do. And it's an incredibly helpful thing because, again, no one's sitting on a council no one, even the administrator, would know how to go about that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they focused on. Uh, over the course of the next several years, most of the lawsuits were settled. We, lo- we lost most of them, were settled in, within that involved either women officers or officers of color. Uh, we had a number of suits, uh, you know, by citizens. We tended to lose a number of those as well. 
and settled uh, simply because, you know, they were, um, you know, we had a police force that needed to reform. And I, and I would describe it largely as professionalization, um, you know, sort of treating everyone exactly the same, treating everyone, um, you know, who you come across regardless of, you know, who you're running into, whether there's someone you know or someone you don't. Can you, and can you share that process us? continued all the way through 2016. Okay. Can you share with us a little bit about those lawsuits and what, 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 were, what were some examples of what they were about? Um, well, so the, the internal ones were about, you know, the similar treatment, right? So you're a, a female and uh, you feel like, you know, you're, you're either harassed in the workplace or you're, you know, not given the same opportunities because of it. Um, you know, the external ones tended to be used to force, like, uh, we literally had one, uh, it's a, you know, longtime Beacon resident who was in the courtroom for, I think it was a traffic ticket and was, you know, beaten, <laughs> literally punched Whoa. in the face, the officer at the, in the courtroom, um, uh, because officer we punched. had a, the officer punched the defendant in the face mm. in the courtroom. Mm. Wow. Right. Uh, this was someone, you know, it was, you know, he's still here. He's someone I know pretty well. And it was like, really? Um, and those are the ones, you know, you know, we're going to get a conviction mm-hmm. as opposed to the ones that are going to kind of get away. Right. Yeah. There it, were it, like with the officers, he's still that per- officer still here or the resident still here. I wasn't sure which pronoun. The resident is still the here. Resident. The officer, okay. The re- gone. Uh, the officer's gone. Okay. Yeah. And so part of the process was kind of getting, you know, a chief who was going to be managed by the city administrator and, you know, heading in the right direction of getting practices and policies and procedures in place, getting training in place and being consistent and pushing out officers who basically, you know, weren't willing to be in a more professional department and wanted to do business the way they'd always done business. Mm-hmm. And so, those most, you know, those officers are, are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, like how many Brandon will know this, you know, the chief's son was in the police department. Mm-hmm. I tried very hard to, um, but the rest of the council was, was willing to say, oh, no, it'll be fine. That created a set of circumstances all on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, largely because nobody was willing to manage this new officer simply because same last name mm-hmm. as the chief. And so you had a series of situations where basically young officers weren't, you know, whipped into shape to behave professionally mm-hmm. and to do pretty much as they wish. I was one of the ones targeted by um, the junior version of mm-hmm. that family name. Mm-hmm. And you know, while the activities chasing me down were all minor, they were like, you know, a parking ticket, parking in front of City Hall mm-hmm. that they managed to go to trial on, which was just ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, and when for which there was absolutely no statute for which they could give me a ticket, which is what the judge had to find. But I literally had to go to court for it mm-hmm. uh, or, a, you know, a moving violation for, you know, not signaling far enough ahead of time, those sorts of things which pale in comparison to, you know, the targeting that happens to others. But, uh, you know, you have to go through that. Eventually, the junior, you know, the chief's son was also removed from the department. Brandon will probably know that involved a criminal conviction. Mm. 
can we talk about that or do we know his, can we say his name or is it too scary? Uh, no, it's uh, Sassy was the chief's name and there was a, a Sassy Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will say that the only uh, suit filed by that family that we paid out was one involving the junior uh, because they, there was an allegation that we didn't promote him at one point and it was just easier to settle. Uh, and so it was settled rather than go to trial, even though I don't think we did anything wrong. You do that a lot because, uh, you know, it's just not worth the nuisance value of going to court. Mm-hmm. It costs you more than the settlement. But um, eventually that officer was put in the drug task force, which was a countywide task force, kind of taking him away from the city in the process. Um, in the drug task force, you know, and it's in the papers, and so I'm not saying anything that isn't public, but the officer um, was caught literally with his pants down with a female informant trying to hit up on the person and the boyfriend walked in, and the officer retreated into a closet, uh, called 911, and faked a report on 911, uh, which was the criminal action, which was the fake call to 911 while an officer um, convicted on it, removed from the force. Um, but yeah, you know, I remember that. Yeah. So. And that was sort of one of the tail end activities because by then the chief hadn't been gone. Uh, DOJ had been in for some time and things were getting cleaned up. But that was one of the officers. You know, and, and I feel bad because, you know, again, a junior officer coming in who doesn't doesn't have a firm hand training them, is gonna learn it's gonna never learn from their mistakes and never be told their mistakes. And, you know, when you're not managed and because no one will touch you, you end up you know, where you are. Uh, and I don't, I, I say it with some compassion because, you know, um, at the same time, it's the same person that was chasing me, that was doing us a bunch of times that, frankly, you know, con- was appropriately convicted. Um, so it was a, it was a hard period. Um, was, he know, with, and, was he with Beacon at that time? I do remember this story and I didn't look it up. Was he with Beacon when that happened? Uh, I'm sorry, was what, say it again? Was he with Beacon when that story happened? I do remember that story. But was, oh, yeah. It was a, he was with Beacon. A, in, in, uh, in, the, in the Beacon Police Department. Got it. Right. And I think that was one of the last ones to clean up. Um, there were a couple that actually um, shaped up after management changed. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really good thing. And, and it's a reflection of people being under, you know, maturing and being able to respond appropriately to management. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with good management. And, and there were some um, officers there who were always, you know, did the right thing, um, but it wasn't, they weren't in charge, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's kind of unfortunate in some ways, but that's how it works, especially in a, you know, hierarchical organization. Mm-hmm. Are there any policies that came out of that that you feel like are easy ones to revisit at this point to see if they could be stronger or different or deeper? Well, I think that the nice thing is we we have a set of policies. We use them. And, and, you know, I'm certainly still no expert in all of this. Um, But what's obviously come to fore in in the, you know, last couple of months is use of force. And... Uh, de-escalation, those are very important policies that I, I think we it's time that we look at. You know, even the state has immediately legislated on chokehold. So 
various aspects of use of force are important to look at. I also think the you know, de-escalation and various forms of training uh, around that are all all make a lot of sense. It doesn't mean that our policies aren't kind of up to date or best practice, but it also says that that we're going to look past that and look to go further. And I think that's a good time to do that. Mm-hmm. So, what what's your 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 feelings and approach on um, the conversation of race when it comes to a lot of these some of these changes and implementations? Well, I think, you know, you've seen already that one of my first actions is just to open up the opportunity to let people speak and for to take on a listening role. And I, I think that's really important, and I think the entire council wants to do that. I think what we'll probably lay out um, is a, a, some areas to look at. Um, and again, you know, these are areas where, where a council member shouldn't be an expert, and so we're probably going to look for help to do that. Um, you know, because if you try to take it on on your own, you know, maybe you'll get it right, but maybe you'll get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, use of force is a, is a particularly important one. Uh, I think community policing we've talked about, it's been a union issue. They've, they've uh, wanted additional staff if we, they were going to do community policing. You know, people who know me and have known me for years know I am um, very cheap with taxpayer money, and I have wanted to do a number of reductions with respect to. Um, overtime and to staffing, and particularly in the police department because it's the biggest department in the city. Maybe we'll look at that. I mean, the watchword now is defunding. Um, I was chasing overtime and four police dogs and and a bunch of, you know, how big a shift is for a long time. Maybe we'll start addressing that. Um, I, I'll give you that one example because I raised the dog. We had four police dogs um, back in the oath. Oh, two, three, four era, and I have to do my own research on on why that didn't make any sense at all. And I surveyed all the departments in the kind of couple of county area, mm-hmm. and all I could come up with was Dutchess County had four in the sheriff's department. Of course, they shared them with anyone who wanted them, mm-hmm. and no one had, no community had anywhere near that other than the county. Mm-hmm. The town of Pekiski had two. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we had four, and it was kind of a Benny for one of the guys, you know, for the for the boys, because mm-hmm. um, you got ten thousand dollars a year of overtime just to kennel the dog at home. Mm-hmm. Our particular four dogs, I believe, were trained for um, crowd control, which I thought was unbelievable at the wow. time. Um, we're down to one now, uh, and that dog is trained for um, uh, bomb sniffing. Okay, uh, not just I think it's bomb. Um, but one, you know, but it's a sniffing role, which is mm-hmm. very different. Mm-hmm. The sense was really you're training these dogs for crowd control, and what are you using them for? Mm, that's um, a scary vision. Yeah, but it but it was well, also that's right that you just have to chase down. So. Yeah. Um, when when Cuomo, what is your feelings on when Cuomo gave the directive to communities to come up with their own police policies? You have nine months to do this, or you don't get federal funding. Um, I don't follow the budget closely, but from, it seems like we, the, that Beacon has their own budget for their police department. Do we need the federal funding? And do you feel like what he was saying, uh, was just kind of grandstanding? Is there any teeth to what he was talking about for Beacon at least? Well, yeah, I, it depends. I, I haven't looked carefully on the revenue side of the police department budget, but I, I don't think our federal or state funding is terribly large. Um, so, 
you know, I think for the cities that are, you know, real cities with, you know, several hundred thousand, if not New York City, then I think it's real money. And I, I think it probably makes a lot of sense for small communities. I'm not sure what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we'll look. Um, you know, I don't think we need the incentive uh, to do our looking because I think we're going to do that as a community. Yeah, and one of the like things that I always, you know, wanted to understand is as we changed as a community <clears throat> from being a small, you know, poor community. I, I When I moved here in 92, I looked, we were the poorest community in the county in terms of income. Mm-hmm. And now we're much more popular and we're changing. And, um, you know, we're still a diverse community and we still have diverse housing stock, which will always make us diverse. But, um, you know, you, you, you wonder, do I need the same kind of policing that I did in the 90s? In the you know twenty and thirty years later, do I need the same level of policing? But the hardest part of it is going to be is minimum staffing. And so anyone who thinks you know we can just defund or cut in half doesn't understand how union rules work. And let me assure you, I support unions, mm-hmm. and uh, that means any changes that we make involving police that affect union rules, we got to negotiate, and that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So uh, and minimum. One, which is how, what's the minimum number of officers you can have on patrol in a shift? And that pretty much defines the size of your department. So if you really want to attack the issue of size, you got to get at that issue. And I've been arguing for years, I don't think it's the reunion rule. And I, you know, the union's been arguing for years that it is a union rule, right? Because that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to get at it, we're going to have to learn how to go negotiate it. Yeah, there's a lot of negotiations. I'm glad you brought that up because as as we're talking about this, the union plays a very big role in this in any kind of reimagining or any change of any kind, anything you're going to add. That's another party yeah. to bring in. Um, Mayor Lee, I, I, how do you feel your administration is going to approach negotiating um, the relationship between the community and the police? Um, I think right now, obviously, with everything that's going on in the world. Um, you know, we've said it before here on the show, but, you know, both civilians are in danger and police officers, I think, inadvertently are in danger as well. Um, and there's a lot of there seems to be some miscommunication that's going on. So do you and your administration have like a plan to to address that? Well, you know, you've already seen the first step, which is just to open up the opportunity for the community to speak. I think once we get there and I think we've just done that recently. Council needs to talk because my two cents is I will always bring the council in on major policy questions. I'm not going to operate, you know, around them or behind them or tell them after the fact what we're doing. Once we have that discussion, I think part of that discussion will be how do we put community and police into conversation together. It's one thing to allow community members a forum to speak freely. Um, but it's one-way conversation. In the end, if you want to get somewhere, it needs to be two-way. Yeah, do you envision um, like one a of the table? Most, I'm sorry? Do you envision it like at a table or in a room or if this wasn't the time of the pandemic, maybe we'd be in uh, the you know the memorial building or something, but literally where people maybe come together? Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. In the end, um, that's about building um, community trust and I think there is some trust, but I also think there's some distrust and some more to, to get to. I think there's a lot of new people in, in the community 
who make assumptions regarding the police, uh, for, you know, who are unaware, for instance, of this topic, uh, unaware that the, you know, changes in the last uh, 15 years in the Beacon Police Department mm-hmm. through the oversight of the Department of Justice. Um, and I, I'm glad to talk about it because I think people need to know that background. I don't think we're, you know, the worst uh, department in the region. Um, I will collect data, and we should collect data so that we kind of know where we stand. Because mm-hmm. you can't just say, you know, everything needs to get thrown out and started over again. I think we do need, as you mentioned, this community give and take process. But that's not going to be the way that the changes occur. The changes have to occur through either the combination of the bargaining table or um, the leadership of the community through the elected officials. Um, and, you know, I'm viewing the task as being largely one of um, making decisions that are going to be either negotiated or council decisions, mm-hmm. um, but built and executed through that community dis- discourse process, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's to be defined, right, because we're working on it now. Right. And it seemed like the compl- the complaint system maybe came out of that judicial inv- the investigation or that there wasn't maybe a complaint system before, but there is now. Can you, is that true? Is it, a, did I hear that correctly? And also, what does it look like right now if you do file a complaint? Like, what, what does the process look like back there? Yeah, so one of the things that DOJ worked on was, you know, how does, how does one file a complaint? And it was sort of like, oh, yeah, go talk to the chief. Mm. You have a lot, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Now there is a much more formal process. Um, and, it, and, it, and it, you know, works. I mean, you know, someone sends me an email complaining. Mm. Uh, I forward it to the administrator, and, it, and they look at it immediately. Um, and we had, I mean, I, I watched one of those, you know, a couple of months ago. And, you know, it was almost a, an offhanded remark complaint, but it's like, you make a you make an offhand remark in an email to the mayor and the administrator. We're going to take it seriously, mm-hmm. and they have cameras now. Uh, and I think that um, we were one of the first communities to get them. And I think that's one of the things that Brandy Casal, as mayor, wanted to get to. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense that mm-hmm. it, it creates um, uh, opportunity for everyone to behave better, whether it's the police on the one hand or you know the community on the other. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think the complaint process is already documented and works, but that doesn't mean we can't be looking at it and say, do we need a civilian component to it? Do we need some sort of impartial process? Mm-hmm. And it could be that um, you use a regular process for run-of-the-mill complaints, mm-hmm. but if there's something more, maybe you go, you know, that extra route. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the things we have to look at. We, we haven't even examined what are the total number of complaints that have been done in the last two years in the city. Yeah. How many uses of force have there been in the city? That's the kind of data that we need. We need to be able to compare it because if we say, oh, well, there are 12 complaints last year, uh, and, you know, on a per capita basis, that's the lowest in the valley, that tells you something. If it also says, no, we're the highest in the valley, that tells you a lot as well. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to collect the data, look at it, see where we stack up as a way of starting to understand what things do we prioritize to focus on first or second as opposed to later on. Yeah, because I was looking at the website to see what, what if I were to file a complaint, where would I go? And it, I found one link for it in a form, and it didn't have directions on 
how to submit it. And then I was looking for a list of police officers and I didn't see a list of those either on the website. And it occurred to me, wow, I don't know what any of them look like. I don't know who any of them are. You know, 36, I wish I did. I wish I just kind of knew what, yeah. not in a suspicious way, but in a way like, oh, there's that guy. Okay. He's an, he's, he's here to protect yeah, me. I, I'm with you. My, my impression coming in, uh, and I, I actually made a specific uh, a project for it, is to improve our uh, electronic communication as a city. Mm-hmm. And I think that our websites, you know, tend to be run independently, like the police department runs their own versus mm-hmm. the fire department versus whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw in the first quarter, once COVID hit, I uh, moved yeah. in the direction of getting electronic payments mm-hmm. because we needed them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're kind of doing a bunch of things on the website, and I think this is one that is ripe for change, right? Yeah, I've seen big and it doesn't mean that it's wrong this way, but it, it needs to be done in a way that's easy for someone to file a complaint. I love the idea of having photos of everyone. I think a good department would love that, too. Um, but, you know, who's who? Yeah. Um, so I think those sorts of things are things we can get to that will help build um, trust in community. I think the community policing is going to be a big part of that too, just to get people out of their cars. But again, I, as you, and Brandon may know this, um, you know, we were trying that for a while. We had a bike patrol for a while, mm-hmm. but it was always a source of overtime, right? It was never uh, part of the regular patrol, right? Because mm-hmm. we were always haggling about, nope, regular patrol needs this many cars. This, you know, oh. uh, so that locked up negotiate got locked up in negotiations for overtime. Over bikes. Right. Over bikes. Yep. Yep. And yeah. and it's like, I get it um, because, you know what, I respect, um, you know, uh, uh, collective bargaining and public employee unions, um, mm-hmm. but you got to work it and you got to decide what's important. And, you know, this might be the opportunity to push through some change that has been held back because, you know, we weren't willing to pay that much more. For it because of how much we were paying now, right? Mm-hmm. So, I kind of wanted to to go back to to my previous question. So, you know, being being you know being uh, African American male, you know, growing up in the city, um, I've had great experiences, but I've also you know had not so great experiences, um, and. You know, growing up, you know, growing up here in this community, um, it was a very diverse community. Um, I think seventeen percent of the population here is of African American uh, background. Um, so, with that being said, do you feel that uh, the communities of color here in Beacon, do you feel that they are being represented in those that are that are kind of in charge of of running the city? Do you feel that their their voice, or they even have a voice or an opportunity to really voice their opinion and talk about what's going on, especially with the lack of, you know, options for youth in the community, things like that? Do you think that's happening? So, you know, um, there's always opportunity to, to do it better. Um, you know, youth in particular is a group that always has to find how do you find your voice, how do you participate? Uh, you know, you, you know as well as everyone that that uh, voter um, turnout rates for young people are significantly lower and they improve over time. So people have to kind of 
learn how to participate. Um, you know, one of the first things I did, and you, you, I think you saw this, um, we had four hires in the fire department one night at a council meeting. Um, I think it was four or three. Um, and um, simply by changing how we use the civil service process for hiring, which was one of the very first things that I kind of said, no, let's change this, mm-hmm. um, got us an African-American, a Hispanic, and a woman firefighter. Mm. What, right was the, what was the change? Um, again, this, this is all inside baseball. It's like, do you hire off of the Beacon civil service list, or do you hire off of the county civil service list? Mm. If you hire off the Beacon civil service list, you, you get people who live in Beacon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you hire off the county list, you get a broader group who, who may also live in Beacon. A woman, um, a firefighter, was born and raised in Beacon, mm-hmm. right? But um, the moment we said we're going to broaden it out, even if it means we don't have Beacon people that we're selecting, mm-hmm. we immediately got diversity. Okay. And those are the kinds of trade-offs you can make. Our police department uh, doesn't represent our community in terms of its employee, you know, staff count. Um, part of that is you have to choose off the top three of the civil service list, but you have a little bit of flexibility as to how to go about that. That needs to be one of our priorities in terms of getting people comfortable that the people who are safeguarding them, you know, actually are really interested in there and represent the community. Um, and so we need to work on that. And that's one of the things, as soon as you change a simple rule like that, you start to see change. So I, that's interesting. I didn't realize that was the sort of changes that, that were made. So do you think that, so something, so that sort of change brought about the change that, that you're, you know, we, we got diversity. Um, that's great. Um, but do you think that, that, that kind of highlights a bigger issue kind of, in regards to the civil service exam and maybe who has access to it and who doesn't have access to it? Yeah, and, and that's one of the things you got to work on, right? you got to encourage um, people in the community to apply, to take the exams, and that's part of the process, right? But, you, are, you know, again, you also have to, to say, how diverse do I want to be versus how much do I want to choose from within the community? If within the community you have lots of people applying, then you'll be fine. Um, but I think choosing off a broader list gives you the opportunity to chase, you know, different goals like diversity as opposed to residency. Can I ask right, you? But, can I ask you about education? And we'll we know we have a lot of your time, so we'll we'll wrap it up here. But can I ask you when the ca- captain brought up um, on that workshop call, his he thought maybe having sixty college credits was limiting their pool of applicants. Um, Regardless of that college credit, or maybe how, how do you feel about the college credit requirement, and how do you feel about people taking courses anyway in um, African-American history, women's history, and Spanish? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, because um, on the one hand, um, you know, the college credits or college degree may limit your applicant pool. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, that sort of background and that sort of education probably broadens who you are and how you think about people. And so, boy, that's a hard trade-off. I, I don't know how it works exactly. Because mm-hmm. if you ask me, 
what I want people to have those sorts of backgrounds and, you know, some of the ones you just mentioned, absolutely. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if it limits your applicant pool, it's an interesting trade-off, right? As so a, we'd have to, I, my ideal would be to, to have both, right? To mm-hmm. have that kind of background, you insist on uh, criminology as opposed to, there's one term that refers to kind of the sociology and sociological aspects of your community as opposed to just fighting crime. And I'd love people to have, you know, a broader background. But, you know, I don't know if it's, if it, you require it or you get it to them after you get in. Right, right. right. What, do you, it, what do you think about, um, like, if you didn't have the college credits, but you wanted people to have that broader experience, so a person who does become an officer who also wants to have the education, too, kind of like um, an employer-sponsored class structure, like you, you have to take these classes and the police department would pay for it. So that's not defunding, it's adding funding, it's part of the funding, it's maybe like an expansion of a type of funding so that you could broaden that applicant pool and provide education at the same time and add enrichment. What do you feel about yeah. that? Yeah, I, I think that, that might be a way to thread the needle, right? Which is to say, look, I'll hire you um, because I'm looking for the diversity uh, or my other goal. But in order for you to stay here, you're going to have to establish so many credits, you know, over time. We'll, we'll pay for the schooling, but you'll have to pick them up on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a requirement. And, you know, that, that might be a way to go about it, right? Because then you kind of build a pool of people that represent your community mm-hmm. who also have the skill sets that you want, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, a lot, lot of ideas floating around. I liked someone, someone suggested the business funding a business center and I thought of the, the Chamber of Commerce in Beacon who's all volunteer and yeah. so so burdened. And listen, these young people, they're entrepreneurs. That's that's what it is to be young. So yeah. that'd be a good resource. Good way to give back to the community. Yeah. Well Mayor, do you have any final thoughts as we as we let you go back to your day? Um, no, it just um it's gonna be a, a lengthy process. Mm-hmm. Um I you know, of change. I actually think, obviously, it's going to be a national process, and there'll mm-hmm. be places in the country that are in desperate need for change. There'll be other places in the country that don't do anything mm-hmm. uh, because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to be a place that, um, you know, we may not be the most needing of change, but I think we're going to see a lot of change simply because the community is ready for it. And I think that we've come a long way from where we were in the 90s and the 2000s I think as we look forward, um, you know, we can define who we want to be, and it's going to be different. And it's not going to be simple answers like cut the department in half. Mm -hmm. Um, It's much more subtle and much more hard work because whether it's changing union rules, whether it's improving your diversity, whether it's figuring out what parts do I want to fund Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to what parts do I not want to fund, those are not going to be easy discussions or answers. And um, I'm looking forward to the community being involved in. Yeah. What's what do you what is do you think is the best way for people to continue giving their suggestions, but also following up on those suggestions? What, do you think you'll have an open public hearing at city council meetings just moving forward? Yeah, I I, I don't not sure yet. I, I would like that discussion with council because I can have one view, and yeah. you know, if four others have a different view, we could go a different way. Mm-hmm. I I think what will happen is that we will define areas to work on. So, for instance, use of force mm-hmm. um, or training or um, um, 
size of a patrol, a patrol or budget considerations. And I think we'll um, hopefully work at those individually because you try to, you know, do 47 things, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And if you don't focus on one thing at a time, you can't learn enough to get it right. Um, you know, I would be very interested to see uh, drop size of our uh, minimum shift uh, if we could do other things like by loosening up or reducing that shift, we could put a person on community uh, walking on Main Street or using a bike again or, um, you know, different kinds of training that would be appropriate. So we'll, we'll see. But I think it's going to come by setting up, you know, several areas to work on and then digging in in each one, one at a time. Okay. Brandon, any final thoughts? Um, I would like to see some sort of community center brought back to this setting. Hmm. I think that especially someone who grew up here, Mm -hmm. um, having the BCC and the MLK, Martin Luther King Center, Mm -hmm. um, were great bastions of hope for me. Mm -hmm. They were places where I could look forward to going to during the summer, after school, um, kept me from getting out of trouble, Mm -hmm. gave me a a place to go. Mm -hmm. Um, What do we have that's here in the city? Other than the library, which is an awesome place, don't get me wrong, but... Is, is that something that is on the agenda or on the table on how do we, you know, provide more for the youth here in the community? Well, I think that the rec programs that we run, which we've substantially increased in size, really under Randy, uh, and, you know, because we'll, we started to have some budget surplus because we got past our tough tax time. Um, and I think we just got to keep doing that. I'm very interested in sharing services in this area with the town of Fishkill. Yeah. You know, they have a rec facility. Yeah, I worked, I worked there. I worked there, yep. <laughs> so we have, a, we actually, on a Friday nights, we have a lot of youth from Beacon who come in, which is always awesome because okay. I see a lot of, uh, um, a lot of local youth that I know. Yeah. So that's, that is a great resource. Yeah, their yep. programs were amazing. Yeah. It, it requires a drive, though, and the yeah. Beacon Rec Center is great. We go there. I just went to the South Avenue Park up there. That was a great addition, um, the park up there. But the building itself, I don't I don't know how open it is. Like, you, I mean, there's a room you can – it's like a gym a little bit, like a small gym, and they have the block party there for the little kids. But I, I, it's not like an accessible building that you could just go into, like the yeah. Fishkill Rec Center. Yeah. That would, you yeah. needed a and bigger think- building. Part of this is just thinking bigger than, you know, kind of broader. That's one of the things about shared services. We're a community of 15,000, right, which is not that big. But if you're willing to share, like we share an assessor with another town. Um, we could share rec facilities. It doesn't mean we don't have our own, but if you share them, you, you get a lot more bang for your buck and a lot more choice for, for people, um, which I think is part of the, part of the issue. We could be looking at sharing services with police, which I'd be look interested in doing. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at that. But I, I think rec is an area that uh, is ripe for thinking a little bit out of the box because, um, you know, resources are not unlimited and we need to be doing better. Yeah. Well, so, an increasing amount of outdoor activities. Yeah. So maybe the building in a walking distance would help, would help. But Mayor, thank you so much for joining with us today. And explaining this. So I really, I hope it adds to the conversation um, as people are thinking and reimagining. And I think it'll be yep. really helpful for them. Very good. Uh, thank you both. Brandon, nice to talk to you again. Yes, good speaking with you. Yep. And Katie, thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
Well, that was fun. Yeah. This was, uh, I feel like we're really getting the hang, the hang of this. Getting a groove. And I really think that the audio is going to sound immaculate. Okay. So I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's been the low-key journey of the show. <laughs> With each episode, the audio gets increasingly better. So thank you for those who are listening, and, and just please stay with us. We are, we are learning as we go. It's all organic. Um, Make it through our mountains of audio. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... We're at 45 minutes now. All right. Well, um, I thought that, okay, so I was wrong when I paused it. I was looking at the wrong track. So okay. we, I thought we might have lost something. We didn't lose anything. I just made a stop. Yeah, I decided reason. to not have a heart attack when you were trying to talk to me. I was like, <laughs> wait, what? I, I think one of the things. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know about the times when I don't press the record button. And I was like, is that one of these times? <laughs> well, no. I was just, you know, that's what I kept. I kept, I kept just going through, making sure everything was going. And then I I looked down to the Bluetooth, but I had I had the tab underneath it covering it. Mm-hmm. So the tab underneath <laughs> it, if you look at it, it's not doing anything. I see so the I tab. So I saw that and I was like, oh shit. Oh. So then I hit record on this. Oh god. And okay. I was like, well, this is going to be four minutes behind because it missed the four minutes. But then I looked down and I was like, we had it the whole time, so we're good. I'm just breathing here. Yeah. I'm just breathing. But, but the lesson is, is yeah. that when we record, I'm always going to have two recordings. So there I'm going to record go. the computer and then yeah. record off the soundboard. Yeah. Just so God forbid ever, anything ever happens. But we made it through that. Okay. False alarm. So cool. sorry. <laughs> we got to record. All right. So let me hit stop on that. Okay. Hit stop.